Italian Wine Podcast. Chin Chin with Italian Wine People. Hello, this is the Italian Wine Podcast. My name is Monty Ward and today's guest is Robert Joseph. Robert, welcome. It's great to be here. So Robert, you have many, many titles in a few short words. How would you describe your activity in the wine industry at the moment? I used to be a full-time wine writer. Um, I wrote a number of books, a newspaper column, Wine International Magazine, got involved in wine competitions and the International Wine Challenge. Which you sort of created, didn't you? I did, actually. Twelve years ago, I changed track completely and my son was born. I took a fresh look at the world and I thought right now I want to do two things. One is I want to look at the way, at the business of wine more than the consumer end of it. And secondly, I wanted to produce wine. So I'm now with two partners. We produce wine in Languedoc. And learning how people buy and sell wine is fascinating. I didn't know about that as a, as a journalist. And secondly, I've become more and more focused on the way the wine world is changing. So the book that is coming out in March 2018 is called The Future of Wine Has Changed. So what do you mean by that, the future of wine has changed? I think the future of everything has changed. The future of cars, if you go back to the automobile industry, go back a few years, and cars just kept on looking the same. If you were making cars, you'd make them faster, a bit more fuel efficient or whatever. Suddenly, electric cars changed everything. Hotels, you know, bigger beds, smaller beds. Suddenly, Airbnb changes things, Uber, etc., etc. In wine, I think that we are about to see, or we're beginning to see, some extraordinary changes at every level, both in production and in consumption and in marketing and sales. So let's do the production side first. Is that just climate change you're talking about? or Well, anything? climate change is going to make us look at things differently. But when you say climate change, what does that mean? It means more storms and so on. It also means potentially more drought. It means more extremes. But water is going to be huge. And how do we deal with water? Well, we're going to be irrigating in places that we didn't used to irrigate. That's the first thing. Secondly, we don't have enough water to irrigate with. So how we do that? We are going to be starting to irrigate essentially almost individual vines. We're not going to be blanketing it, uh, blanketing the vineyard in the way we did. And that, how are we going to do that? Well, we're going to be using drones. We're going to be using satellites. We're going to be using robots to go through the vineyards that tell you which vines need the help. And that's not just irrigation. That could be in terms of pesticide. That could be in terms of fertilizer, etc. That's a big change. And of course, those robots that do that are going to be accompanied or followed on by robots that do the work. We go to the States now, and yes, Donald Trump hasn't exactly been the best friend to either Mexican workers or people employing them, but actually, the young Mexicans didn't want to work in the vineyards anyway. So, and in New Zealand, they don't have any Mexicans, they don't have any cheap labor. So New Zealand is is leading the charge, but other places as well, towards totally automated vineyards. With possibly five, the ex-CEO of Kendall Jackson said, we're five years off a fully automated vineyard. We have vine, we have robots now that can learn how to to, to train and to prune vines. And if when they get it wrong, they're taught to get it right. So that's a huge, huge change in the way that we're going to be making wine. But also for communities as well. I mean, uh, what are people going to do if they don't have any jobs? Sit at home, watch TV? I have Sit at home and well, go online? Let's just say that... Or watch the robot doing the work that they used to do? Well, to be honest, I think what's happening in the vineyard is only going to be accompanied by what's going to be happening in so many other factors of our lives. So I went into a supermarket in Amsterdam last week where there are no people. You, this is a not, family show. Robert. I don't want to know what you do. (laughs) But no, quite literally, it's it's an Albert Heim shop, and it's not just like the shops I'm used to, where you've got the choice of going to somebody on a on a checkout or the 
machine. Here, there are just self-checkouts. And that's, you know, we're heading in that direction and it's a whole other conversation. I don't guess that we've got time for here. But the vineyards, um, and it's going to mean that the cheap wine that we're buying today will continue to exist potentially because we're going to go on doing that. And back to your climate change, very essentially, we're going to be growing different vines. Will they be different clones? Will they be on different rootstock? Quite possibly. We've got two fascinatingly opposing tracks. On the one hand, we're moving back into old indigenous vines because they seem to work better in various ways in some places, which is not maybe not surprising. But we're also looking at new vines. So we've got Marcelan, which is a modern cross. And that is not only is it being flourishing in places like China and, and Russia now, but it's being tested in Bordeaux, where they're saying we're already beginning to have problems with Merlot. So that's another big change. And then before we go much further, we'll start to look at whether we do accept GM or not. And maybe we will. And those GM vines will be producing wine in theory that's got less alcohol or less alcohol than we might have with more warmth, maybe need less water, maybe uh, uh, need fewer treatments. So that's the, the next big leap. But that's all just production. That's before we start looking at everything else. What about winemaking? Can we automate the winemaking side of things? Not only can we automate the winemaking side in all sorts of which is already almost there, but the AI, which is going to be telling us what to plant, what, when to pick what and so on. So AI going, is artificial intelligence. intelligence. That is going to be doing the same thing in terms of... We're not going to use... I mean, some people still I'd do it the way I did it last year, plus or minus. Now we're going to be taking the temperature. It's fascinating listening to graph yesterday talking to saying well we don't test anything we let God do it and it's terrific and the wines are brilliant but that's not going to be what most people are doing and most people are going to have just as they've now got temperature control they're going to have things saying that I, I would suggest that you do this which is something which is a major leap, leap. talking just talking going getting back to the robot thing I mean a there will have to be people that maintain the robots put yes. oil in their legs or whatever it, whatever, yes. whatever it is but also in terms of social the social impact of that I mean I, I honestly can't see rural communities just saying right we're actually not going to do any we're just going to sit and watch, sit at home and, and watch TV all day well, and, and have robots going through our family vineyards that my grandmother grandfather grandmother planted X hundred years ago well, I'm very carefully not talking about Italy in a way because I think it's easier to, to, to talk about a neighbouring country here. But I've got a, a, some statistics. Bordeaux had 20,000 chateaux in the 1980s. It's down now to under 7,000. The average size of a Bordeaux chateau is 22 hectares. At the prices they're charging, which is a between 230 and 380 a bottle euros. average, euros, that's not sustainable. The sustainable size is between 50 to 80 hectares. So you could say, well, we've got 6,000, whatever it is now, we will end up with 1,500 logically, unless, of course, they actually say, well, we're going to charge more than 380, and we can survive as a 22 hectare vineyard because we're getting 10 euros. But it's going to be a change. We cannot just draw a line from here to there. So your bucolic village will with all these little landowners going out and not making enough money is not going to be sustainable because the sons and daughters are not going to want to do it. What about technology in terms of packaging? Haven't we kind of reached the end of the line in terms of packaging? No, let's go back. Packaging is one of my absolute obsessions because we use most of the bottles in most of the countries we're talking about, which is not true in, by the way, places like uh, Sweden and indeed Australia, where roughly half the wine is in bag and box. But in most of the places that we can think about in terms of where wine is drunk, rows and rows of 75 CL glass bottles. Some of them are lighter glass, some of them are heavier glass, but they're all that size because that was the lung capacity of a French glass blower in the 17th century. And 
75 centiliters is not necessarily the right size for an Amarone or a Rechotto and an 8.5% Riesling from Germany. There's no logic. So I think we're going to see uh, a great move towards single-serve, smaller packaging, and we're going to see cans, which fit into a different form of of, uh, lifestyle. Um, But we're also going to see returnable bottles, which because glass takes a lot of work to to, to recycle. But then we look at some other interesting things. We've had PET. Coca-Cola. Just PET. What's that? Actually, it was a plastic bottle. And those, when they're recycled, are brilliant because they're light, because they are very, very recyclable. But we're not recycling them. And they're ending up in the sea with all the results that we we know about. Coca-Cola, Heineken and company are looking at alternatives to their plastic bottles and the water manufacturers as well. They're looking at biodegradable. Problem with that is unless you do the biodegrading, you've still got bits ending up in the sea. There's a fascinating Icelander who's come up with something made from agar. And agar is, is, is a sort of seaweed. And it's a bottle that doesn't look very nice and this is very prototype at the moment but when you it's when it's full of liquid it's a bottle and when it's not full of liquid it actually turns into a little lump of stuff that you could eat so it literally by it degrades into something that is not going to affect the environment and I think we're going to do and in in the end the wine industry may benefit from Coca-Cola actually having to do this stuff but I don't think we're necessarily going to look at glass bottles for the next 10-20 years and while we're talking about the bottle a fascinating new development is the idea of a chip that goes into the screw cap or the cork which will tell potentially which will tell your phone or indeed the producer when and where the bottle was opened and whether the wine has actually been damaged en route so there are things that, that sound like science fiction but actually a sat nav when you think about it, sounded like science fiction. The idea of a, well, your mobile phone, your, which we've, your, your smartphone, which is only 10 years old, is science fiction if you turn the clock back 10 years ago. You can kind of see the divorce rate in- increasing when somebody opens a bottle of wine in the company of he or someone that they shouldn't be Well, in the company absolutely. Of, but then we move on to the way we're going to buy wine, because you, you, you've essentially moved into that area. We've already quietly begun to have these devices in our homes, Amazon's Alexa and Google Home and various of the others. And the, by the same token, our smartphones are getting smarter, so we've got Siri and Bixby and so on. And there are changes there that we're not really, or not all all of us are paying attention to. So we're not going to be using our little fingers typing things out on those little screens. We're talking to them now. We can talk to them now and we can tell them things and they will remember. They will actually react to. So I will be in my home saying, Alexa, I want a bottle of wine. And Alexa, because Alexa is part of Amazon and Amazon knows the stuff I bought last week, etc., etc., Amazon will say, do you want the one you had last week? Or I can recommend you one. But that's Amazon, if you like, is the... And Amazon then will deliver it to me very efficiently. But Amazon is... an we go to China, it would be Alibaba or a similar organization. But that is the the obvious gorilla. There are the other ones. We don't, we're not normally thinking of Facebook, Twitter, those kind of, of platforms as buying media. We think of them as communication media. Firstly, their income at the moment is coming largely 99% actually from advertising. And we've seen all through the last elections, we've seen all sorts of, of questions over how they're getting their money and so on. And they may well be restricted. They are moving into retail. And the Chinese Tencent through WeChat were led the charge there. Now, that doesn't mean to say that, that Facebook is going to have a warehouse full of stuff. It means that Facebook and Google will earn money through 
through directing you to people who will sell you stuff and deliver stuff. And that's interesting because they know more about me than I know about me. And they know what my friends like, they know what I like, and when I don't like something, they'll learn through that. And that's a huge jump forward in itself. Meanwhile, actually one of these wee wine people, um, you and I, you know, give us half an hour, we'll wander around a wine shop, we'll love it, we'll pick up all the bottles. Most people don't like doing that any more than they like doing spending time in bookshops. So how do they choose a wine? They're reliant on some critic or someone telling you. Actually, the best way to choose a wine is when a friend or family gives it to you. Then you've got to write it down and remember it and go to the shop. No, point your camera, point your phone, sorry, at the label and hit the buy button. And as a presentation uh, I'm giving out at the Wine to Wine conference, I've got a, a video I shot in China of somebody buying a bottle of wine in 34 seconds, including looking briefly at the reviews of it. But it's not just wine, and that's a very important thing. In another little video clip I, I, I used by Samsung for its new Galaxy phone, the Bixby, it shows the character there walking past a poster in which he sees a pair of shoes. He points his camera at the shoes and the poster, goes bang and buys the shoes. So we're not just going to buy wine this way. We're going to buy so many things. Yeah, just go quickly back to the where we started, which was in the vineyard. I, mean, I see what you're saying about automation and robots and things like that, but ultimately... Um, people have got to, we are, we are social animals, we like living in communities, and I would say that my alternative vision, um, probably will never come about, would be seeing people working together to grow really healthy food, living, getting much closer to the land, rather than sitting at home or anywhere else just staring into a smartphone and seeing the world through a, a cipher. Look, I think there's all sorts of social questions. The first thing is, and it drill down, I don't see why the, ro- the electric robot will not produce as healthy food as the lazy uh, peasant, if you like, and the lazy peasant who at the moment is spraying all sorts of stuff on to save him from having to go out into the vineyards or whatever the field it is. So I'm not sure the health thing is there. I do think that we'll see two things, because uh, I do actually fundamentally agree with you. One is that at the the luxury food, and luxury, I mean, not necessarily money, but it will cost more. We will buy things that have been handled by human beings because we want to, and we will know that they've been handled. And if we buy meat, we will know where the cows were and how they were looked after, rather than a non meat. So we'll probably have artificially created meaty protein, protein, protein from insects in probably. our sandwich that we don't pay very much for, or we'll have a really good steak from a cow that's had a good life. The other side of it, which we don't think about, is actually because we're going to have more time, maybe I will have an allotment. You know, maybe I will. Maybe my, my friends and I will share some land and I'll grow potatoes and he'll grow carrots or whatever. I don't think there's any reason why we can't, if we've been given the leisure time, why would we not do more of creating our own food? And it may be, and they're, they're talking at the moment, if we start going down, as we are going to, the shared car route, we're going to have a lot of car parking space that we don't need anymore. We have a lot of road space. There's a lot of things that we may not need. And hey, you know, that's going to end. There some, I saw some, some something in Germany recently where they're turning areas of a town into allotment land and where people in a block of flats have got that little area and you don't need very much land. So I, I'm not entirely negative about this and I don't think the, the picture that you've just drawn of Italian wine or French wine of all being little peasants growing out. Actually in a lot of countries it's not Italian peasants, it's peasants from another country who actually come been brought in to do it and it's a big factory where the wine is made pretty industrially. I don't think today's picture is all that beautiful. Why should, why should the, the future picture be necessarily 
words. But something I heard today, which I really, at the Wine to Wine conference, which stuck in my mind, I liked, was a young millennial, he was talking about millennial subjects, talking about something in the States where he said, actually, young, his cohort of people in their 30s, if you like, they like the idea of a cooperative. When they hear that a wine, that a wine or anything's been made by 50 or 60 families who've got together to make it, that's a plus. Now, my generation, everybody I've, I've ever had anything to do with in wine has always seen the world of wine as being a pyramid with the, the grower, the little family is top, the family-owned merchant business comes next, and the co-op is, is at the bottom of that pile. And I find it fascinating to hear a young Americans say, yeah, we embrace the idea of the cooperative. And so, and I'm producing wine in France at, at a set of cooperatives in, in Minervois. And I love that idea. Great. Robert, um, we could talk about this for many, many hours. I'd like to get you back on the show at some stage. I would love to, love to do it again. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Robert, for coming in and um, explaining to us some of the things that the future may hold, uh, not just for um, us in the wine industry, but for us as human beings on the little planet we inhabit in general. Thank you very much. Follow Italian Wine Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. 